0: Mark yes. okay. The s The ISX stops. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that wishes you a happy new financial year. I'm Scott Phillips and with me is Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. Good morning, Scott. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. And you good, self? I am very good. And as always, Liam Flanagan, our talented producer who is going to try and keep us on the straight and narrow and maybe pitch in with the occasional comment or maybe a good sound effect or two. We shall see what happens. Doc, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the year in review. Today is the 29th of June. It is the last day of the financial year for traders. Of course, there's one more day left on Saturday, but it's all over for us today, so we'll have a bit of a look back. We'll answer the question the AFR asked of which stock will get to 200 bucks first, Cochlear or CSL. We'll talk a little bit about short selling and Amazon entering the pharmacy business. Look out, Terry White. And of course, because our listeners would be devastated if it didn't happen. I'm going to saddle up. I'm going to await starter's orders on the Motley Fool High Horse. All right, let's get on with it. Mate, the year has almost finished, and you know this answer. So I'm, going to, I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to ask our listeners to just guess. Actually, no, I'm going to ask Liam just because that's much more fun. Liam, the average, the average year for the stock market, about 10 or 11%. What do you reckon happened on the ASX in the last 12 months?
2: Uh, I'll say 10 or 11%.
1: Ten, or 11. <laughs> You know what? That is a very good guess because it's always going to be around. That's the, I, I like that a lot. You know what's funny? Despite the, the, the Brexits, the Trumps, the – what else we have, Doc? We had uh, Amazon, um, fears about Amazon entering the retail space, all that kind of good stuff. You know,
2: property market crashing. Yeah, uh, um, valuations are, valuations too high. are too high. Um, the
1: ASX was up, that? including dividends, which is what we should always count. 13.4%. This was an above Oof, average wow. year for the market. Despite all the paper headlines of everything that could and would and should go wrong, we had a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. Now, without dividends, that's 8.6%. So the price index that we normally talk about, the ASX 200, will show up 8.6%, depending on what happens today, of course. Uh, but the total market, unless something crashes horribly today, will be in market with an average beating performance on the ASX, which is pretty impressive. Now, I'm not going to ask Liam this one, because Liam, you did very well, mate. Well done. That was that was within 20%, give or take. We'll give you that one. Thank you. Uh, and that was unfair of me. You my apologies, mate. I, just, I, I thought, of, you know, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll make Liam jump through a hoop. Uh, but I will I will go back to Doc, because, Doc, you should know some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll try. Over the best. last 12 months. So, let, so, we'll go back to price only, because these are only the price numbers I've got. So, the ASX was up 8.6%. Mm-hmm. Which of the sectors of the ASX do you reckon was up the most over the last 12 months?
2: I'll take information technology. Oh no, that was
1: number three. That was number three.
2: That was number three. And
1: information technology was up twenty-nine point eight percent. Okay. That's triple the average market year. Twenty-nine point eight percent for IT. There were two higher than that, mate. Give me one of them if you can. Um I'm gonna take a while. And while you before you do, listen to time. just to have a think of yourselves and just, just think okay, what what do I reckon over the last twelve months, what was up the most? Which sector of the ASX? All right, Doc, over to you.
2: Okay. I'm not even sure which one it would be. I was going to say marijuana stocks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's possible, but not not strictly speaking in ASX 200 sector. So we'll Uh, leave those uh,
2: aside. Is it mining?
1: Yes, well done. In fact, the top two sectors were both mining-related sectors. The energy sector, so this is oil and gas, Mm. up an astonishing 38% over the last 12 months. And resources, so that's basically metals and minerals, Mm. up 36%. Wow. IT third at 298 They are st- astonishing gains. Fantastic. It really does reinforce the cyclical nature of mining. You know, mm-hmm. If we'd done this a couple of years ago, they would have been in the bottom couple mm-hmm. of sectors. Mm-hmm. Mining stocks are still largely well, well down on their highs, but have a really great 12 months of very, very low levels, up 35 and 38% respectively, which is just, just astonishingly good.
2: Fantastic results. All right, mate, I'm going
1: to give you a couple more to, to try and guess for me just mm-hmm. to make it fun for me and fun for our listeners. Listeners, what do you think – was the worst performing sector on the ASX last year. And I'll give you a clue. Give me me a
2: clue, come on. No, the clue's going to give
1: it away, I think. Uh, This this sector is dominated by a particular company, put it that way.
2: Should I take... uh Consumer discretionary.
1: Oh no, you shouldn't take consumer discretionary. Consumer discretionary. So this is the. So think about these are things that you have discretion over buying. So this is not supermarket stocks. These are retailers that you might go. Uh, fashion, in particular, mm-hmm. and consumer discretionary, that kind of stuff. Consumer discretionary was up eleven point five percent for a market beating wow. return. Fantastic. This was a this was a different sector. Dominated by one company. Your least favorite company in the ASX, I'll say, Doc, just for the fun of it.
2: My least favorite company. Banking? <laughs> no,
1: come on. What's the one you give me grief about all the time?
2: Ah, oh, is there one company I give you grief about all there the time? There really is. <laughs> mm, okay, I get it. Uh, <laughs> telecommunications. That's I guess. the one.
1: Yeah. Telcos, because mm. it was dominated by Telstra, Telstra. down thirty-five percent. Mm. So energy was up thirty-eight. Telstra, basically, tel- telecommunications sector mm. is Telstra plus a few, mm. down thirty-five percent over the last twelve months. Now, we know all this stuff, Doc, and let me go through a couple just quickly. Healthcare was up 26 materials up 25 consumer staples was up 24%, believe it or not, wow. which is astonishing for Thanks. consumer staples. Wow. Um, industrials was up a bit. And the, the losers, the financial services sector. So for all those people mm. who love their bank stocks, and I don't blame you for loving your bank stocks, but they're down 3.3% over the last 12 months. And utilities, so think about the power providers and, and infrastructure stocks, down about 6%.
2: That's, you know, not too bad.
1: So there you go. wasn't wasn't too it too worth bad. holding mm. the big end of town. It was worth holding some miners, and if you held Telstra, it was a pretty mm. crappy year. I know that because I actually own shares in Telstra. Mm. So my apologies. It was a it was a tough year for for poor old Telstra, and I know you feel very sorry for it, doc. Oh,
2: I do. I do. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, Telstra a great stock, right?
0: Real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's go from the
1: year review and let's talk about the year ahead. There was a question in the AFR this week and the article's title, I think, or at least the, pre- the premise was, who will join Cochlear and CSL in the ASX's $200 club? They'll try to look at which was the next stock to go to 200 bucks. What's your guess, Doug?
2: Well, my, my answer is, does it matter?
1: Well, wow, yeah. Sh- sh- should I? Really? Don't, we, don't we all want yeah. two hundred dollar
2: stocks? Well, oh, I want all mean, my stocks to go to two hundred no, bucks, don't I? You no, know, there are thousand dollar stocks too. I mean, but I don't want those to go to two hundred oh.
1: bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be bad. <laughs> I want the other ones to go to two hundred bucks.
2: <laughs> okay, so, uh, so I think I think the problem here is a lot of people just look at the number two hundred and think, well, it's a big number. Yeah, yeah. is a two hundred dollar stock any better than a two dollar stock? I don't know.
1: A hundred times better, isn't it?
2: It's not because I mean what you own is really a fraction of the company, right? So if you own five thousand dollars in a company and equates to point zero 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 one percent, whether it's a two hundred dollars stock or a two dollars stock or a twenty dollars stock, does not matter, right? What what matters really is, you know, what fraction of the company you own, and how right. and you know, and the market capitalization of the company is basically the total number of shares out multiplied by the the uh, the share price.
1: Should we should we choose an analogy? Let let us go for the economist's favorite analogy, the investor's favorite analogy. Mm. Let's talk about a pizza for a second because mm. we love talking about pizzas. Well, I do. Um, I like Domino's as a company, by the way, as well. Mm. Let's talk about pizza. So, so what you're telling me is that a two hundred dollar pizza and a two dollar pizza would be the same thing?
2: No, I did not say that. Oh, I said that okay. one pizza is a pizza, and whether you have a you know whether you divide that pizza into four pieces, yes, or eight pieces, it's effectively still the pizza. But, you know, and if you own one eighth of the pizza, you own one eighth of the you know, Pizza.
1: Right. So what you're telling me is there could be a two hundred dollar pizza. You can have one. You know, the whole pizza is worth two hundred bucks, so I can have the whole thing mm-hmm. for two hundred, or I can have a hundred slices for two dollars each. Yep. So effectively, all I'm getting is the same pizza, right?
2: Yeah. Well, you're getting a piece of the pizza, and you decide how much of the pizza you want to have, right? You can have half the pizza, right, or you could have one quarter of the pizza. It's your choice.
1: So it's not so much the the, the price that matters; is how much of how much of the pizza I'm getting for the price I'm
2: exactly. paying. Exactly. Yeah. That's not much fun. Well, it, well, it, <laughs> oftentimes I hear people I say, oh, that's, you know, like $150 stock. I don't think I can buy that looks expensive. Well, yeah. The price of the stock does not tell you whether it's expensive or not, right? It's price relative to something, whether price relative to earnings, price relative to operating earnings, price relative to sales, whatever. That, right. you know, you could use as a gauge to decide uh, it, if it's expensive or not, but not just the price itself.
1: Now, you know my favorite company.
2: Hmm. Well, which one is it?
1: Come on. My very favorite company. Kogan? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a US company.
2: Oh, okay. Amazon?
1: No. Striking out here. Think about, think about Uncle Warren. Oh, Berkshire <laughs> There we go. Hathaway. So, Berkshire Hathaway, Uncle Warren Buffett's business, and, and we've talked about Warren a mm-hmm. couple of times in this podcast mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Even Liam could spell his name in his sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Berkshire Hathaway shares, the Class A shares- right now. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk expensive stocks, and as you say, Doc, that's exactly the story, right? Berkshire is $284,000 a share. It could be split a thousand ways, they'd be two hundred eighty-four dollars mm-hmm. a share, and I could own a thousand times the number of shares, mm-hmm. but I'd still have the same interest in Berkshire Hathaway, and that's kind exactly. of the key point. I,
2: I think one thing I'll point out is, I think some people, I mean, if you have a two hundred sixty thousand dollars share, effectively to buy one share, you need to have at least <laughs> two, <mortgage> a house. <laughs> you need to have at least two hundred sixty thousand dollars. So one of the problems with bigger, you know, such large mm-hmm. share prices is that you can't own a small fraction of the company. Yeah, right. That's a problem. And that's why some companies split the, you know, split the stock. Affected and become too large.
1: We might talk about stock splits another time, mate. But I think it's a really good point because we do know, for example, that uh, companies like to split their stock to make it seem like it's more somehow affordable, yeah. and they are playing on our on our human mm. m- motivations to your, to your point before of feeling like well, it's lower, it's a lower price per share, therefore it must be cheaper. Mm. They know full well it's not. We know full well it's not. It's a it's a confidence trick, and I'm not a big fan, but. Companies keep doing it because they're interested in short-term share prices.
0: Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate.
1: Let's move on. Speaking of prices and speaking of companies that are expensive, Mm. let's talk a little bit about short selling. Now, we've talked about that a little bit before, but- Let's let's kind of there's been a couple of a couple of Australian companies a, a particular US company you're a little bit fond of. Mm-hmm. And the short sellers have been running rampant. So in the last little while we saw Aconex, maybe this time last year, mm-hmm. maybe a bit later. Uh, one of the highest shorted stocks before mm-hmm. it was taken over, Nanasonics, a favorite of, of mine. Um, another company that had a high short interest, and of course, everyone's favorite car mm-hmm. company or your favorite car company, mm-hmm. the big T, Tesla, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Celstra. What is your view on short selling?
2: Okay. So for those people who don't know what short, what short selling is, short selling effectively means I go and borrow stocks from people who actually own the stock. I then sell it in the market, right? With and and for borrowing the stock, I essentially say, well, I'm borrowing the stock from you. I'm going to pay you some interest over time mm-hmm. for borrowing your stock and I'm guaranteed that I'm going to return the stock back to you when you ask for it or in due course. Right, right, right. Right? I take the stock from you. I sell it in the market, and then what I'm basically hoping is the stock price is going to go down. And if it goes down substantially, I buy it at cheap in the market, mm-hmm. and I give you back your stock, right? Okay. So I make money if the stock goes down, right? Right. Now, uh, fundamentally. So
1: let me let's let's put this in a little bit of detail just to help people understand mm-hmm. a little bit. So shares of shares of uh, uh, Liam's Legits are selling at a hundred bucks a share, mm-hmm. and you reckon they're probably worth ten. Yep. So, you go out and you say, Well, I'll borrow the shares off Scott Phillips, off me, mm-hmm. and you sell those shares and get your hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that when they fall to $10, you buy that share back for 10 give them back to me, and you pocket the $90 profit you made by effectively selling at a higher price and buying back at a lower Absolutely. price. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So, that, that's what yep. short selling is. Tell me more about how it applies and whether or not it's a smart idea.
2: Right. So, okay. So, fundamentally, I actually don't like short selling. Uh, and, and the reason I don't like—I'm
1: glad you can come back next week.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh, we, we, we have to agree on something.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not going to be Tesla or Telstra, So let's go with short so, selling. So,
2: so I think the problem with short selling, at, at least as an investor, is this, mm-hmm. right? Um, in your example of this hundred bucks, <laughs> yep. Um, somebody's making a valuation call and saying, "Well, it's worth ten bucks." Yes. Right. You need to be right on that valuation call to yes. make ninety bucks. Yes. Right. Now, your upside is really capped, right? I mean, you can basically hope that hundred bucks stock goes to zero. Okay. Right, and your upside is basically capped at hundred bucks. Right, yep. right. If I go long and I think the company has a long opportunity and a big opportunity over time, there is no—I mean, theoretically speaking, okay, there is always an upside cap, but yep. it is not capped at hundred bucks. If you know, if you're right, and if you know, if you're holding it for the long term, you so when you pay-
1: say go long, you're saying if you buy the shares in a normal yeah. transaction, you hold them for as long as you want to. Right, the shares could go up. So Berkshire started at fifty dollars a share fifty exactly. years ago. Now it's at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a share. Exactly. That's that, yeah. you
2: know, that's like what like. Thousands of times, right? right. So Apple's I
1: mean, gone from two bucks to whatever it is now. It's
2: like whatever two hundred bucks. Right. So right. if you if
1: you shorted Apple almost any time after the after Steve Jobs returned, yeah, you lost an absolute truckload. Exactly. Okay. Exactly.
2: So so I mean I think I think short selling is trying to take you know advantage of some short term opportunities, mm-hmm. short term opportunities, uh, or it could be valuation. It could be, and, and I think the other thing I don't like about short selling is that often what happens with short selling is that short sellers. Are typically big funds mm-hmm. uh, or you know uh, hedge funds, and what they would do is then they would uh, often use uh, um, the analyst community, or they would use newspapers, they would mm-hmm. use all sorts of approaches and opportunities to try to actually drive the price down. Okay, right? And and short selling, I think you know that you know there are two types of things. You can if you if you short sell a company where which has. Um, Financial need, mm-hmm. especially like those companies which are financial transactions type companies, okay. financial services type companies, companies which would uh, which would uh, depend a lot on the trust of the of the consumers and of the market and so on, mm-hmm. where, because they need to raise money. It is e- it is easier, theoretically speaking, at least, to create a sentiment where you hurt the company. And if you create, you know, you can create a self-perpetuating sort of loop where, you know, okay, people are short-selling, the stock price is going down, Uh, you know, you create some news, some uncertainty, fear, and the stock price goes down even further. Particularly
1: because maybe consumers hear about it, they stop shopping there. Uh, we saw a company exactly. in the U.S. called Lumbar Liquidators not long ago, yes. where there was a big, big short sale case made. This is a terrible company; they're poisoning their customers. Absolutely. So not only does the share start falling, but customers say, "Well, hang on, I've I've seen that the news. I'm not going to yeah. buy from them." Which actually creates the the exact weakness yeah. that the, the company is expected to suffer. Suffer. Which then helps yeah. the share price, which creates more yeah. weakness, and it becomes a self perpetuating cycle. Yeah. And, and
2: I'll clarify with that that you know I actually owned that stock, so, <laughs> so I've suffered through that one. <laughs> uh, and and uh, what 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 happened in that particular case mm. is that the company was cleared by the California Safety Board, Mm. whichever company that, you know, the safety board that looks at, you know, whether it is poisoning people or not. But that doesn't matter at that point. By the time you're cleared, the sentiment has been so bad that people have stopped buying their, you know, (laughs) Right. <laughs> They're lumber.
1: Now, to be clear, we're not necessarily saying there was any untoward in the short case. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. We're not suggesting there is, but there are opportunities and circumstances where that can yep. be a self-perpetuating, self-reinforcing yeah. cycle.
2: Yeah. So, so two to examples you made here, like like Aconex, for example, right? Mm-hmm. The Aconex short thesis.
1: Now, what's Aconex, okay, mate?
2: Okay, Aconex is was was <laughs> or, <laughs> was an ASX listed company. Yes. Uh, which we had recommended uh, in our services. Thank uh, you for mentioning that. We did. Yes, we did. I think and it was your
1: idea, as I recall.
2: Oh, was well. well Our idea.
1: (laughs) You're Um, you're a generous man.
2: uh, It was basically a cloud-based construction project management company. So basically, you know, managing uh, construction. Yep. And, and and basically providing all the all the tools for doing really
1: that. cool tech. Put the architects yeah. together with the building owners, put together with the subcontractors, exactly putting everything in one place. It's all in the cloud, rather than send plans backwards and forwards. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So yep. we like
2: that a lot. We like that a lot. You know, I used to call it the Google of the uh, of the you know construction world. Oh, basically. that's sexy. Look at
1: that. <laughs> so used to so, be marketing.
2: Yeah, uh, it was a really cool company yep. uh, founded here, and uh, what people basically said as well, you know, <coughs> maybe we don't like the accounting here. Maybe they're doing some aggressive accounting. Yep. uh, You know, there may be. Uh, capitalizing some uh, um, Mm -hmm. R&D, and then look at that sky-high valuation and things like that. And to be fair,
1: at one point, I think organic growth did slow a little bit, so maybe there's a bit of fundamental kind of concern about, about growth levels. Right. Shorters jumped on, they said this is going to somewhere lower than this. Yeah. What happened?
2: And and the price did go down mm-hmm. <laughs> substantially. Actually, um, at at one point, I think it had hit eight dollars, and mm-hmm. it had gone all the way down to I think four dollars. That sounds about right <laughs> from memory. <laughs> from memory, uh, but then what happened? It you know another. Big company noticed, mm-hmm. right? And took advantage and basically said, hell, here is a offer around $7 something.
1: So US soft company, software company a Oracle? Small,
2: small company called Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically a database company, um, Oracle, decided that this is a good fit for them mm-hmm. uh, in, like their, in their move move to the cloud and mm-hmm. like what they saw. And they basically made a buyout offer and the company got sold.
1: If you were short at four bucks mm. and the shares got sold at what, 760?
2: 760, 770, something
1: like that. So you pretty much lost half your money. Oof, yeah, brutal, pretty brutal, brutal. And then there's Tesla. Come on, tell us, tell, tell us. Tell us oh, I'm going I'm to keep you short on this one because I know you could talk about Tesla for uh, for most of today and a large chunk of tomorrow. So, mm. but, but tell me, tell me about, uh, tell me about the the Tesla short story.
2: Okay, so the Tesla short story is uh, is interesting because it actually started not with Tesla, but it started with another company uh, of Elon Musk called mm-hmm. Solar City. Mm-hmm. There, the short thesis was a relatively simple. Short thesis: so, Solar City basically used to um, uh, lease um, solar panels mm-hmm. to people.
1: That was pretty cool. So, rather than actually buying the panels, mm. you lease. They the would panel. come and put them onto the roof for you. Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd own the panels, but you'd kind of get cheaper electricity. And it was a bit of a kind yeah. of a way to put solar on the roof without having to stump up a large amount up front.
2: Right. And it, it, it was basically a financial arbitrage situation, right? So uh-huh. what basically was happening in that case was Solar City was you know uh, borrowing money at a certain rate yep. and basically giving you the panels and charging you a slightly higher rate, which is what the banks do all the time. Yeah, right? totally. So it was basically you know financial services uh, operation yeah. um, in, in a cool area. Uh, a short seller called Jim Chanos, mm-hmm. and this is my version of the story. at
1: least. <laughs> so I'll caveat that. I'll, I'll, I'll give the real. I'll give, I'll give the unbiased story later, but you give your version first. Uh, so,
2: so a short seller called Jim Chanos, who who is one of the most famous short sellers on Wall Street, and a very successful short very, seller too. Uh, I would I would caveat that. I don't. I think he's called very successful because he was very successful with one uh, short selling, which was of uh, Enron. He's so, got a f-
1: he's got a few dollars to his name, though. To be fair, he's he's not, got, he hasn't he hasn't struggled for a quid.
2: Um, but but his fund has been, I think, uh, losing money to the market, uh, you know, losing to the market for some time. Okay, right. So he uh, was a short um, Solar City, mm-hmm. and and Solar City basically depended on raising money from the market, right? So okay. there, if you short it and you create a sentiment where you think that oh, this company is going to go bankrupt, this company is you know, and if you know if you're going to go bankrupt, who's going to lend you money? Mm-hmm. It creates issues in the bond market. It creates issues in the equity market, mm-hmm. and and basically the stock price went down or Mm -hmm. started going down. And then it can become self-fulfilling, right? Mm -hmm. To some extent. Um, Elon Musk, who was one of the largest shareholders, basically then decided... I've heard of him. yeah, Yeah. He decided that, well, I'm going to merge it with... (laughs) Tesla. Okay. <laughs> so he made a buyout offer, an opportunistic buyout offer, at uh, I think at like thirty percent above. It the helps
1: when you own most of both companies. Let's be fair, exactly, exactly. Well, not most, so, but so, a controlling so, interest.
2: Yeah. So, and, and I'll <laughs> be honest, I don't think you know in that case, <laughs> it, it, it looked like it was it was done basically to um, you know save his own money, I guess. Right, and, he, okay. and And then I guess he figured that well, you know, in this case, this is the best solution I've got. So they acquired SolarCity, mm-hmm. and they basically SolarCity shorts then moved to Tesla, okay, right? And and Tesla's short story, I think, has changed from this company cannot make. Uh, this company is overvalued. Yeah. Or, this company is niche, there's no demand for its product. To, oh, there's demand for its product, they can't make cars, enough cars, to, you know, oh, the battery battery cars are going to burn down and things like that, right? <laughs> okay. So,
1: the short term. Piece- so, upfront, it was kind of a case of lots of dreams, not much upside. This, yeah. this is just fundamentally overvalued. Yeah. And then it kind of went to a combination of, well, okay, there's demand for it, but they can't make them profitably. And yeah. now there's some sense of maybe the shorts are moved towards they're going to run out of cash before long. Is that is I think that's the yeah, current So, so right
2: now the, well right now there's multiple. I think the short sellers have multiple prongs here. One is that they won't be able to make enough cars to right. fulfill the demand. Uh, uh, and then when they think that the demand is going to get fulfilled, then the story changes to well, there's not going to be enough demand because you know these guys have made uh, you know electric vehicles sexy. Other people are going to come in and start making electric vehicles. Everybody's going to buy Jaguars electric vehicles or BMWs electric vehicles and or not Tesla. Right, right. So there's all sorts of stories around this, and and I think in uh, I, I think okay. So some of this might be true, mm-hmm. but I think what people forget here is you know this is a transition in 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 vehicles mm-hmm. from ICs or internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. Yep. Tesla is a pure electric vehicle company. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other companies. Have incentive issues, right? The dealers want to sell ICE cars, mm-hmm. not electric vehicles, because they make more money servicing the ICE cars, right? right? Um, Tesla doesn't doesn't have dealer networks.
1: So, so to, just to, just hit that up a little bit. So most new car dealers make far more mo- far more money from the servicing of those cars than actually selling them in the first place.
2: Exactly. Right. Right. Um, so so that's that. And then there's the demand issue. I mean, you know, when people talk about demand, I say, well, you know, look at Tesla's backlog. That's one. Second, just realize this: just in the U.S. alone, 300,000 BMWs are sold, or 350,000 BMWs. That's just BMWs, mm-hmm. right? Add the Audis and add everything else. That's mm-hmm. a lot of luxury. The Jags. Yeah, yep. a lot yep. of luxury vehicles. All that Tesla needs to do is just get a fair share of it, you know, of the pie, and it should be fine, right?
1: So as long uh, as it's running out of money first. Yeah.
2: So as long, okay. So tackling that, I think you know, um, there. I think my thinking there is that uh, they should always be able to tap the equity market. Mm-hmm. They might be always able to tap the bond market. They might have to pay more mm-hmm. to you know, in terms of interest, which is not good. Uh, Elon Musk is a wealthy person, mm. uh, and I think if the Tesla share price were to fall a lot, uh, there are a lot of uh, wealthy tech companies who would probably be happy to put in a few billion dollars at a discount I to see. buy this
1: company. Take a little corner stake. So, in Tesla. So take
2: a corner stake, and there are you know uh, corner stakes held by you know. Mm-hmm. So, there's a big Chinese company, one of the biggest uh, internet companies, called Tencent, mm-hmm. which owns a five percent stake in Tesla. So, I, I think that the story about it going out of money is is just. In a fear and uncertainty and despair created in the market. It creates opportunities for people who are long like me to buy the stock.
1: All right. That's that's enough of you to tearing the bull case on Tesla. I think you're probably right, frankly. I think the, the, the question really to, to some extent, and with all, with all companies, any company that's likely to be forced to raise capital at a lower price should see its share price fall by definition when it raises that capital because shareholders smell the desperation. They're not going to offer a high price. We've seen plenty in the past raise more capital, particularly small Australian companies, raise more capital at lower and lower prices. Mining companies are a classic on that a couple of a couple of uh, car sales, sales um, iCarAsia raised money at lower and lower prices. So at some point, that does create a share price fall. And if you've taken that view on iCarAsia and said, I'll short it because they're going to have to raise more capital at some point at a lower price, you would have been dead, right? Uh-huh. The question for Tesla and for you, is, that, you know, is whether or not there's enough passion, enough belief, enough confidence in the company that they don't have to raise money at a particularly steep discount if they have to raise money at all. And that'll be the interesting question, I think. And that's that's where some of the more respected shorters, if I can, if I can say that, uh, or those who are short Tesla are, are taking a bet that they believe they'll, they'll benefit, not because Tesla goes broke, but because when it has to raise money at lower prices. That forces the share price down, and that would be their short profit.
2: I'm going to add just one quick thing, um, and which is uh, what people forget is you know the number of d- deposits that Tesla holds, mm-hmm. and that's money, free money essentially. That's a type of capital raise, and Tesla has just started now rolling out. It started converting those orders right. into reservations, uh, reservations into orders, right. and it's asking essentially for another twenty five hundred grand to convert that. Right, if you get hundred 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 thousand people to actually pay. Uh, That's a lot of money. That's basically capital. That that
1: (laughs) covers
2: a few bills. That's a a sweet capital risk. Value stocks,
0: market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Speaking of American companies, though, let's have a look at Amazon.
2: Mm -hmm. So,
1: report out this morning and Terry White should be quaking in their boots, that Amazon is buying a billion-dollar pharmacy business in the U.S. It is getting into the distribution of pharmaceutical products. Mm. And it's something that's been kind of mooted for a while. The billion-dollar buy wiped $15 billion off the market cap of its competitors Mm. because investors are so worried that Amazon is going to come and disrupt the pharmacy business like it has almost every business before it. What say you? Should we be concerned about... Amazon in pharmacy what should the Terry Whites and Chemist warehouse in Australia be thinking what's the future for pharmacy in the wake of Amazon
2: okay so i am always worried when <laughs> amazon <laughs> enters into something <laughs> so amazon is a company that should not be taken lightly yeah. uh, i think uh, the all the uh, pharmaceutical companies or the pharmaceutical uh, uh, distributors and so on that had their share prices uh, you know tank or not mm. tank but mm. you know go mm. down i think uh, I think it reflects the the belief that you know Amazon would be a very aggressive competitor. Yep. It will be able to negotiate good prices with pharma companies mm-hmm. and and therefore maybe you know and maybe it'll bundle it with its prime offering and uh, you know give you free shipping on your drug uh, drugs, right? Why would you not? right? Why would you not? Um so yeah, I think you know companies like Terry White and uh, you know Chemist Warehouse and so on they should <laughs> they should look out and this is uh, but i mean i think it's it's still early days they're going to roll out in the us i mean by the time they decide to come to australia it'll be several years i guess right um, mm. there's regul this is a, this is a regulated area so there's so they need regulatory approval um yeah but I mean, from uh, from where I stand, I think mm. I would say that you know anything that Amazon does, <laughs> it should watch and watch very carefully. Uh, I will, I will no. add just that, you know, it's not um, it's not always the case that Amazon is going to kill it. You know, locally we have a very successful Kogan while Amazon is around, eBay is around, so mm-hmm. maybe people can coexist.
1: I think that's the key one for me. I think if I was if I was a betting man, and I own Amazon shares for, for full disclosure, um, I think you do too. Yes. Do. So if I was a betting man, I would say that, look, there, there was a lot of overblown response to Amazon's launch here last mm-hmm. year, almost four yep. months ago now, actually, not, not far off that. Um, and then, so it was Amazon's coming, everything's going to die. Mm. And then two months later, it was, oh, Amazon's not going to kill anything. It's been a, a yep. failure of a launch. And I think both of those views <laughs> yeah. are, are stupid in the short term. Mm-hmm. Amazon is not trying to destroy everyone else on day one. But they absolutely are intending to take very large shares of the markets yep. they operate in over time. They'll build that mass. They'll build that yep. momentum over time. And I think to expect that just because Amazon announces a deal, that all of a sudden everything goes to pot is probably silly. I've got to say though, I don't want to. I don't know want to be in the way of Amazon when it comes through. Yep. Particularly if you can't respond. So I look, like, I like Kogan. We've talked about it before. I think Amazon and Coke and, and can coexist because the market for online retail is big enough. That's mm-hmm. my view. For what it's worth, though, I think at some point, you don't want to be a bricks-and-mortar retailer yeah. trying to fight a rearguard action when the, when everything is moving online and, frankly, Amazon is leading that charge. If you're in its way, you need to at least be in its way. If you, if you can if you can draft Amazon like Kogan is effectively doing, then you're probably doing okay, potentially. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be there necessarily 25 years, but for now you're doing okay. If you're a bricks-and-mortar retailer with no reasonable response to that, and if all of a sudden I could get all my pharmaceuticals online very simply and easily, then why would I not? And I think to your point about Prime, that's... You know, Amazon Prime is all about you know free two-day delivery. It's all about feeling like you're part of a club. You want to then put all your volume through that. It's a very, very attractive thing to do. So, I, 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 frankly, I think traditional pharmacies are under, under pressure already from the likes of Chemist Warehouse. I would imagine Amazon entering this space if and when they do. And you, to your point, this is regulated, so it does require a law change. But I've got to figure people power at some point makes that happen, mm-hmm. whether, whether the pharmacies like it or not. And I don't want to be a pharmacy owner when Amazon turns up on my doorstep.
2: Absolutely agree. Motley Fool Money.
0: For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Guess what? Guess what? It's tell time me. for me to mount on my high, high horse.
1: <laughs> and you were worried we weren't going to have enough time, Doc.
2: Oh, well. Go on, tell on. <laughs> ride, that, ride the horse
1: with that invitation. Why would I not? Phils, <laughs> today in the papers, in, in the AFR and the Herald, and I'm sure other papers, was a report from ASIC. And that report was that 90%, 90% of self-managed super funds that the ASIC looked into were in their words dodgy, or effectively that were their words. The advice being given to those funds, the way those funds were set up and constructed, the way people thought about how they invested with their SMSFs is bad according to the regulator. And it really does it's a real reminder that despite all of the protections, all of the laws, all the regulations, all the Royal Commissions, quite frankly, there are still people out there trying to take your money without giving you a decent service in return. And it comes down to conflicts. we talked about conflicts a lot, and I will keep ranting about conflicts for as long as they happen, because if you don't think about it, if you don't worry about it, if you're not keeping an eye on it, people will take advantage of you. And ASIC is saying there's too many one-stop shops. Those are are people who are saying, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell you a property, I'll get you a loan. I'll set up your SMSF and I'll clip the ticket all the way through. And am I thinking about your best interest? Well, in ASIC's words, probably not. And that's the real concern. So you've got to keep mindful of it. And frankly, I'm glad ASIC's doing it. They need to do more of it. And frankly, the government need to fund them a whole lot better to root out this kind of crap that's going on in the industry where they, that people feel like they can just create a product, sell it to some poor unsuspecting schmuck who doesn't know any better because you come with a respectable suit. You show them your qualifications. I oh, will help you. Trust me. This is what I do for a living. I'll look after you. And for too long, and still it happens, financial planners, financial advisors are just quasi salesmen. They're not genuinely looking out for their customers' best interests. Again, I will say, if your financial planner, if your advisor, if your accountant is getting money from anyone other than you, then they are taking you for a ride. Maybe, just maybe, the advice is decent. Maybe, just maybe, you're getting a decent go and they're doing the right thing. But how hard is it when you're being offered incentive after incentive after incentive to keep yourself on the straight and narrow? We all like to think we could do it. I'm not sure many people can. And if you're an accountant, if you're an advisor, if you're a planner, and you're getting a kickback from somebody other than the customer, how can you honestly believe you're doing the right thing? And if you're a customer of those guys, you've got to ask yourself, do you really think you are getting unbiased advice? Even subconsciously, do you not think your your planner's behavior is being influenced even a little bit by the incentives they're being provided, by the free trips, the holidays, the dinners, the kickbacks, the commissions, the... All of the stuff that goes along with that, it's human nature. It's very, very hard. We know psychologists tell us, it's incredibly hard to resist the power of incentives. And so even those who think they're doing the right thing, who are probably almost certainly doing the right thing, maybe they aren't because those incentives are just so, so, so insidious. It is time for ASIC to stamp it out. There should not be anybody paying a financial planner other than the customer or the client. And until that changes, I will keep ranting.
2: Man, that was a long rant. Scott. That was good, wasn't it? No, I almost didn't a, take uh, a breath. That was, that was great. I'm going to ask you one quick. Give me one line. Why, <laughs> uh, why ASIC does not like property? What's <laughs> ASIC's problem with property? Can you explain why that was a problem?
1: So the issue they they bought I, I love that question, Doc. Thank you. It's a, an off-the-dictionary. I'll take it. ASIC's point was that the most of these SMSFs that are being set up by these one-stop shops are being set up with one asset, often in mind a single asset, which is a mm. single property. And basically, someone's saying to you, look, you know, you've got a couple hundred grand in your super fund over here with, with Australian Super. Mm. i tell you what, I'll take you 200 grand. I'll put it into another super, a self-managed super fund. We'll mm-hmm. borrow another 70%. Great. We'll buy a $800,000 property. Mm-hmm. Look how much money working for you. This will be fantastic. And that's is saying. Mm-hmm. Firstly, there's massive conflicts involved in there, right? Mm-hmm. And secondly, if you're trying to save your retirement, having all of your retirement nest egg in a single property, in mm-hmm. a single place, in a single suburban street, in a single city… That's not exactly the diversification. ASIC are saying, you know what? There needs to be more diversification in a, in a soft managed superannuation product. Any superannuation mm. product Good having point. all of your eggs in one property basket is just crazy, Dangerous. and they're dead right.
2: Yeah, they're right. Cool. Thank you. Whew, that feels better. You feel mm, better? I, I, feel I better. love it. I love it when you talk about property.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just want the price to go down. We know, that. We know I, that. I love the price going down. I thought I'd get away with this at out- mentioning property, Liam. I apologize. We'll cut that out later. Uh, fools, <laughs> we, we will put a quick shout-out too. Don't forget, we do love to hear your feedback. So if you've got a an, an idea, a question, a comment, a topic, feel free to send us an email, either info at fool.com.au. That's our email address. Info at foolfol dot com dot au or hit us up on twitter at the motley fool au we'd love to answer your questions we want to know what you're thinking and what you'd like us to cover but in the meantime doc that wraps us up now don't forget you can subscribe to the triple m motley fool money podcast through itunes or your favorite pod- android podcast app you no know, this apple stuff doc all mm. about android and if you like what we're doing please give us a big five star rating and tell your friends it helps us rank higher and lets more people discover the podcast that's it for this week's motley fool money we'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight